Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi everyone, and a big warm welcome to the next episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. Wherever you're streaming from in the world, it's great to have you along for the journey. Uh, My name's Adam Cox, and I'll be your host um, for this next episode. Now, before we dive in, we've got some super exciting news coming out of Open Banking Expo over the last week or so. Um, The Open Banking Expo Awards have recently launched um, and entries are now open for the first fully independent industry awards specifically curated to honour those individuals and businesses champion open banking, open finance and payments best practice and innovation. So it's time to sharpen those pencils. Um, uh, entry details are all available on the website at openbankingexpoawards.com, where you will also find all of the entry criteria. Um, the team here at Open Banking Expo wish you all the very best with your entry. Now, we might just have the next potential entrant for the awards in our next guest. I'm really excited for this next episode as we catch up with the winner of Open Banking Expo's inaugural fintech pitch competition that we hosted at our Digifest event last year. FreezeDebt came away victorious for their work in the debt advice space, and today I'm delighted to be joined by founder and chief executive officer, Harjit Moore. Morning, Harjit, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Adam. Thanks for inviting us to this podcast. I look forward to the to the questions that we're going to go through. Perfect. Thanks, Harjit. So um, on a bit of research that I've been doing over the last couple of days, um, Google tells me you're the number one debt solutions app. Um, that's quite uh, quite a billing. Um so, however, whilst we've engaged before, and um, I know financial well-being is behind everything you guys do at Freeze Debt, um, this is probably a good scene setter for you to, to give our audience and our listeners a quick uh, Freeze Debt 101. Oh, brilliant. So, yeah, we are the, the number one because we're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're the best and only debt advice and solution mobile um, app on the market. Being going just up, uh, coming up to two years in May, we officially launched in uh, May 2019. Um, first year we were flying, like you said, getting bigger and bigger, lots of development, understanding the market, and then COVID in the last last year really has changed our our view and, and, and how the market works and what we need to do to be fair and, and preparing ourselves for what's about to happen. And so, so on that basis then in your experience, um, and we'll, we'll kind of move on to the, the journey so far, but what do you think is kind of coming down the line um, for, for, for the industry as a whole? Well, to be fair... I believe it's going to be record high levels of insolvencies, people in debt. I think the newspapers, the news is going to be obsessed from second, sort of third, fourth quarter this year with just the amount of people that that need help. Because if you think about the impact, we haven't really felt the impact of COVID. If you think about all the high street companies that have shut down, offices, everyone is reducing really, to be fair. And at the moment with the government's help, um, there's not really been much impact in terms of debt collectors, bailiffs and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of, we're in this really weird gray zone where people are kind of lost about where we go next because like the world's still kind of on pause. So I think mm-hmm. once we start getting a bit back to normality, that kind of, we're going to get this avalanche of, of, of debt and, and people needing help because it's all right. Mm-hmm. I know we see newspapers all the time saying so we've paid off more debt than we ever have and, and all that kind of stuff. But all that's happening in COVID is the gaps got wider. The people who, who had money and had disposable income at the top have used that time where they've saved money on travel and working from home and all that kind of stuff. Have used that time and that money to to pay off the credit card debts and plus 
you're not spending what else there's only so much shopping you could do on amazon <laughs> there's only so many things you can buy so you, you, you've not got the day-to-day expenses with yeah. food and going out and all that kind of stuff that and mr thought. jeff bezos has done okay out of this hasn't he uh, exactly yeah. yeah exactly so <laughs> that disposable income where you'd go out to eat and go for drinks with friends and just normal day-to-day stuff that we just haven't had for last year they've used that money to pay credit cards but the people who are more in the middle to bottom where they were hand to mouth and just about surviving and making making ends meet have felt it worse because they've either been furloughed so they've had a 20 percent reduction in their income or they've lost their job altogether so the, the balance just hasn't been there and that that's why like i said for me um and i think other people in the industry are predicting this that it is going to be like i said record numbers of insolvencies mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of this yeah, no, I think you're, you're probably quite right. He doesn't uh, need to be a chief economist to to, to, to appreciate that, um, you know, tough times are around the corner. Um, I won't uh, go into too much now in terms of kind of your crystal ball and what you predict over the next 12 to 18 months, because we'll, we'll end with that. Um, but let's look at, I guess, the journey so far then, um, not only for yourself, but also um, for the for the freeze debt uh, business. Um, so a couple of years in, um, do you want to elaborate on that journey to date? You know, some of the decisions that you've made, um, you know, why, why now? Um, and ultimately, um, you know, what are the goals for the business moving forward? Yeah, definitely. So we kind of fell into the industry, to be fair, when we launched the product. Um, I don't have a debt background. My team doesn't have a debt background. I'm predominantly been insurance. For the last eight nine years, and uh, running the call centers, had a very large call center, 140 plus staff, um, and decided that call centers we could see was coming to an end. It's an outdated form of technology. People just don't enjoy having telephone calls anymore. Mm-hmm. So we went on this journey to build an insurance app that was about a year into development, and then just a light bulb moment kind of hit. Was actually we're building this technology for insurance, but do you know what? Debt is such a hard topic to talk about. If we can make that easier over chat and then the amount of documentation and evidence you need to collect to actually confirm a user is struggling can be a lot like you need three months bank statements copy of all the debts copy of any benefits tenancy agreements mortgage statements id it's a lot and you think if you tell somebody to do that over the phone and send it in via email or in the post it's just it's just not going to work so i just thought actually the power of the phone is perfect for it so we kind of pivoted from an insurance app to a debt app. And to be fair, we just thought, looking at the size of the market, it won't be that big. We'll put a couple of guys on it in the corner of the office. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll use it as our, like, and I'll be very honest about this, we'll use it as our guinea pig. Like, it, yeah. it'll be good. But we, don't, at that time, didn't understand app development, didn't understand app marketing. And most importantly, we didn't understand app operationally how to run an app. We know how operationally how to run a call center. But with a call center, you can switch off. You switch it on at 8 o'clock in the morning and you switch it off at 8 o'clock in the evening and you're only live when that's live. But with an app, it's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So mm-hmm. a different kind of challenge. And we had to learn that. So that's what we thought. Okay, it's a good idea. We'll see how it goes. Um, and we'll whatever mistakes we make on it, as we are going to, because we're going into it green behind the ears, we'll be perfect when it comes to the insurance app. And that was the whole plan about it. And we officially, well, we did a soft launch in March 2019. So we decided to pivot at the end, at Christmas 2018. And because we'd built a lot of the framework for the insurance app, um, we built the debt app within like six weeks, seven weeks. So we had a, a very, very rough, really ugly looking uh, app that we launched in March 2019, just on iOS as well, just to see if it would work, see if there's something out there because I, I didn't want to, again, go on to a big development cycle and 
the market not really being there. Insurance, I understand. Debt was new to me, especially with technology as well. Mm-hmm. So we did a soft launch and we got about 100, 100 downloads without really trying, didn't really advertise much. And we could see actually there's something here. Um, then we did a focus group the following month and then people came in and just hammered the app. The app was massive. It was like 92 pages long. The app was huge. And I was like, actually, yeah, that's a bit too long. And we went from like 92 pages down to about 18. <laughs> so it was right. lots, lots, lots of long processes that we just, like I said, not understanding the, the processes and the industry at the time, what, what, what we needed to do. And then made all the changes, built the Android app and officially launched in May. And to be fair, since it's gone live, we haven't looked back. I haven't looked at the insurance app in, in two years. The debt app has just got, freeze debt just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and what mm-hmm. we realized was the demand for the product, as much as, as any developer and designer and thinker can think, I've got a great idea. It's that thing is actually, does, does the public think, is there an actual use for it? And is it red? Is the world ready for it? Kind of thing, and that mm-hmm. that was the, the million dollar question at the time. But from the moment we launched, it's just gone. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The first twelve months were especially a whirlwind until COVID hit. To be fair, mm-hmm. and, yeah. And well, um, sorry, go on. That's no, carrying on. Sorry. No, I was, was going to say I was going to look at kind of what the last twelve months has been like for not only yourself but obviously the the wider three step business. Um, uh, you know, shortly, I guess I've got a couple of follow on questions in terms of, um, you know, classic CEO, founder, hindsight questions of, you know, you've been in business for two years now. Um, you know, what might you have done differently um, up and up until this stage? Um, to be fair, not, not a lot, to be fair. I think the first thing was the first app we launched was way too big. I think I made that classic mistake as a business owner, didn't really take the consumer because we were the only one doing it. If the process is long, if the process is a bit complicated, well, what's the alternative? Pick up the phone. So what I made that, that business mistake was make the journey a little bit more difficult or longer for the consumer, make my back end and for my staff easier. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's why that app was so long and quickly learned actually that isn't the way to go. Uh, and, and do it the other way around to be fair and yeah to be fair that's it and just a lot of learning around marketing so i can't really say we we haven't we've had quite a a decent journey in that sense we haven't come across too many pitfalls we don't have too many challenges as we're the only ones and we're forever learning and our development schedule and where we plan to be apart from covid if you take covid out of it that's that's a big thing but we can't control that it's been it's been good to be fair yeah, so learned a lot, but changing wise, not much to be fair. Okay. It's it's uh, it's been very enjoyable, and I'm one of them people that I don't expect it to be good. You got to take the take, take the up and the down at the same time. It's it, it's the journey on the way, and you're gonna face them challenges as any mm-hmm. entrepreneur going into it. Don't think it's like a Hollywood movie, but it's it's just one no. straight line going up. Uh, it it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, I think a very grounded uh, viewpoint there. Um, you mentioned. Um, COVID, you know, it's something that you know, we're going to touch on now uh, before we look at kind of some of the campaigns that you're running. Um, like you say, we can't necessarily control what's going on, but ultimately we have to evolve with it. Um, can you share some insights into the last 12 months then? Um, one assumes you've been right in the eye of the storm in terms of uh, the data that you're receiving, analytics, consumer behavior. Um, you know, what have you seen? What's a kind of analysis telling you off the back of the, the COVID pandemic? To be fair, so like I said, we, we were very consistent in the first 12 months and we were going only one way. We were going to the moon in that sense. And then all yep. of a sudden, March, it just dropped off a cliff. Like the demand for for debt all of a sudden just stopped and debt advice just stopped. Like what's going on? And then April, it, we saw this 
not even steady, like an extreme decline going straight down. But then at the same time, we reduced our market spend, so we reduced what we were doing to, to get the products out there because, like I said, ultimately there was no demand for the product. The banks, the government had just given everyone this kind of like three months, four months break at the start. So it dropped off. And then the queries that we were getting is, was getting from people who were like, well, what is furlough? How does that affect me? Uh, what happens next? And just like, just like anyone else, where they say, like, we don't know. It, it, it's on the government and we We've, we've only got the same information as you guys and trying to help people with that when they're coming to you when you don't even have the answers or any any other information it's not like we were giving any information from the government or the debt sector was given anything special to say it wasn't so that was very challenging at that time because you have to act like you're the professional and you know what's going on and reassure people who are struggling with debt without really fully understanding what is going to happen next mm-hmm. Um, so went through that. That was that was very challenging, to be fair. Do Do you think um, uh, again? There's, there's a slight false pretense there. How do you think the the debt advice uh, and the debt kind of management sector um, has coped over the last twelve months? I guess when it comes to educating and advising consumers, um, because it's all well and good being paid 80% of your salary for a set period of time. Um, and, and it's, it was, you know, last summer when the sun was out and we were able to, um, you know, that work-life balance is, is certainly starting to, I guess, you know, level off. But, um, you know, do you think that the market that you serve has, um, you know, ultimately done a good job in um, helping to educate consumers on and ultimately what's, what's around the corner? I, I do think, I think definitely with the good, Companies, people like Step Change, ourselves, PayPlan, the, the guys who take it seriously. Yeah, definitely, because we do look at the regulations. We do look at what a, somebody who you, who you owe money, what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. There's been special measures brought out because of COVID in terms of rent and when people can start chasing you or not chase you and times. Same with debt. So there's a lot of information around that where... As you can imagine, if, you, if you're a landlord and you've got a number of properties and you're not collecting any rent, they're going to feel the same pressure. So they mm-hmm. are going to put pressure on the tenants, but it's about legally understanding what can and can't be done and if them threats are real or, or not real and if they should be taken seriously or not seriously and what you can do. And that was our, our job changed from being, pe- being a company that got people out of debt with advice to simply just being advice. So listen, look, don't worry, there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's nothing that can be done, we're always here, and not really at that point of actually getting a solution, it's more reassurance that we're in this together, and as we come to the end of COVID, we'll, we'll know more, we'll, we'll have a better understanding of mm-hmm. where we're going to go next. So yeah, so it, it changed a lot, but yeah, I think overall, the, the industry's done well with the lack of information provided, definitely from the government, um, on what can and can't be done, it, it has been hard to, to trickle through the industry, but it, yeah, I think they've done it overall. I think they've done a decent job. Hmm. Okay, so let's um, move on then and talk about kind of a campaign um, that uh, that you guys are currently running. Um, I, I guess for those that don't know, this industry is kind of quite close to my heart. Um, I spent uh, the, the best part of fifteen years in the kind of consumer and commercial collections, recoveries, and insolvency space. So I've seen firsthand the great work in the market when it comes to consumer education and rehabilitation, but also on the other side of the fence, times of real hardship, meaning the hard yards are still to come, especially as we um, come off the back of uh, the pandemic. So um, your recent and ongoing campaign, um, debt isn't a dirty word. Um, do you want to just dive into a bit more detail here and, and what your aim is with this campaign um, as you've as you've taken it to market? Yeah, definitely. So 
dirty isn't a dirty word really came from an idea that talking about money is difficult there's, there's a great <laughs> advert i think a few months ago i think by nationwide when they've got like couples and partners sat there and the real people are asking them about do you talk about money and they just give each other a look and that's money in Remember a that, in yeah. a in a good sense and mm-hmm. this is money where you owe people and debt and what we felt was it's just it's still it feels like it was the last taboo if you look at something like netflix you watch a show on netflix and most taboos are, are covered in most shows talk about sexuality gender equality and all these kind of things that traditionally probably wouldn't be talked about across the dinner table and now out there in the open and the one that really isn't is debt debt still kind of has this stigma around it um, and that's what we want to do with the debt isn't a dirty word and just just highlight that and highlight that problem that it isn't and it should be easy to talk about that it isn't a dirty word and, and if by bringing it out more out into the open will help one to deal with your debts at a sooner stage but also to help reduce the mental impact of being in debt and the effect mm-hmm. that it has on someone's mental well-being and not having to feel like it's it's a taboo and you have to hide it it's like yeah I am I am in trouble and I do need help and, and that's what it was all about, really, to be fair, and, and really highlighting that. And is that coming then, do you think? Because um, I think you're quite right. Um, <clears throat> debt is considered uh, a dirty word. Anyone can be in debt. Anyone can be vulnerable at any point in their life. And I think sometimes people forget that. Um, and uh, I do wonder how far away are we um, from it being, I guess, more mainstream, for, uh, and potentially getting more column inches in the media, because um, you've mentioned um you know sexuality data bias all those key things that um you know we see on netflix and other tv programs but actually um when it comes to um when it comes to debt that coverage isn't quite out there yet how far away are we then do you think from it potentially coming more mainstream i think we're still a little bit far away from it and i think it's a it's a it's almost like a generational thing i think the younger generation the younger you are the more i think you are open to it but the older I still, I think, has that stigma attached to it. Like we, we see this kind of stuff because of our adverts and what the posts that we put out there on Facebook, especially. And I'm not a Facebook user, so it's always kind of surprising when you see Facebook where you get people who just comment on a, an ad from a company that you have nothing to do with and you're going to feel to post, shouldn't take the money out to start with, pay your debts. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it, it's such a... And it's always a certain type of age and a certain type of person that... that that post that kind of comment and that's what's always eye-opening so i think it's that we are we're in that gray area between yes and no the younger generation yeah picking up the older older generation at the moment still i think majority wise have that thing about money and debt mm-hmm. and, and how it should be so yeah it's and, a bit it's a bit out just, there and just on that actually i'm going to come to that in a couple of questions time where we look at the kind of buy now pay later um i guess surge that we've seen over the last 12 18 months which ultimately um, has been very popular with those age groups that you've just um, you've just mentioned there um Hadji, before i do that now probably quite a good time for you to maybe talk to your lobbying for the regulation of ivas um and ensuring that customer data received by um ips or insolvency practitioners is, is legitimate um do you just want to kind of expand on that and, and your work here um for our listeners yeah, so like so we've, we've not been in the debt industry long. Uh, we've been in it just coming up two years, 18 months. And one of the things that has really surprised me about the industry is how debt advice is given and and the change between of debt being a service, debt advice being a service, to debt advice being a sales commodity and a sellable product. 
And like I said, I'm, I'm one from that experience. Like I said, I had an insurance call center for a number of years, a very saleable product, and it was a sales environment. And I see the companies that are involved and the industry as a whole gone down that same route. Debt isn't, it's, it's not advice anymore. It's a number on a spreadsheet that somebody's chasing commission on. Mm-hmm. And that's, for me, is completely wrong. Completely wrong. You're dealing with vulnerable customers. You're dealing with people who are struggling mentally, emotionally with this product. And it should not be a random person from the other side of the world, either be Philippines, India, South Africa, calling somebody who doesn't really understand what debt is in the UK and the debt regulation and understanding what debt relief order is or an IVA, just reading off a script and hounding people and making false promises, Mm -hmm. telling somebody who you have no history on, no data on that you can get them out of debt, giving that false hope and then not being able to fulfill it is the last thing you need. And that for me needs, needs to be changed. It shouldn't be a product that should be sold. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. And um, one of the things that I'm looking at over the next um, few weeks is to um, I'd be really keen to bring on maybe a, a debt collection agency or a debt purchaser um, or anyone working within the collections recovery space. And because I actually think, and someone correct, can correct me if I'm wrong, but the model is, is completely broken at the moment. Um, and I say that uh, I attended uh, a roundtable pre-COVID, um, so the back end of um, 2019, and a one of the largest debt buyers, um, their CFO was in attendance. So clearly not naming any names here, but said, you know, open banking and that being, uh, and the the use of open banking data being part of their future strategy or their future collection strategy. They don't see it being part of it for another 10 years or so, which whilst um, this is our business and ultimately we're looking to grow our community globally, um, I was kind of dumbfounded by that in terms of, um, you know, but, well, ultimately, if the commission models are still in place for collectors on the end of the phone to um, to collect as much as possible, whilst it's all regulated, of course, um, and to get that money in as quickly as possible, um, yes, whilst that's better for everyone, um, ultimately, are we doing it in the right way? And are those are those plans being put in place um, to to benefit the consumer? And I'm not you know, nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm sure they are, but actually there are some, I think there's still some some hard yards to put in there. And I'd like to see um, more openness um, from the market in terms of looking at how we can utilize open banking data in that space. So a little tangent, but um, I'm really keen to look at um, moving forward. Um, you've just mentioned there uh, how, we, how we really un- use, utilize open banking principles and the data behind it to, to really aid um, consumers. Um, I'm sure you'd agree. Definitely 100%. I'm, I'm surprised that they said 10 years because if, if they're waiting so 10 was years, I. <laughs> they're not going to be around, I'll tell you that. Now, I know there's a number of up-and-coming tech companies in that industry now, in, mm-hmm. the, in the debt collection industry that are using open banking, that are using technology to help make it yeah. more clearer. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, it is, I, have, I have strong opinions on the whole lending, selling debt and and how it works. And I think ultimately the system is broken and they sell banks and credit card companies sell the debt to to, to show that they've moved it off their book to show a bit of profit. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it is, it is a very murky world, but yeah, open banking is the future. You've got to use it. It'll make your collections service faster, more efficient, but also a better journey for the user. Yeah. 
I mean, so it, obviously the collections and, and the debt purchase space, um, whilst, yes, it's a strategic decision to a certain extent, it's a highly, highly regulated marketplace and it's, and it's f- f- much further down the line in regulation and the way it treats customers, treating customers fairly, et cetera, than it was 10 yep. years ago. However, Definitely. I just think the commission models um, where collectors um, are ultimately um, in the marketplace to collect as much and as quickly as possible probably just needs the reviewing. And I wonder how open banking can, can help um, on that yeah. play. Um, sorry, go on. I was going to say that's just the proper, for me, it's a regulation thing. That you have the FCA, you have the Insolvency Practices Association. You've got so many of these different bodies and nobody wants to deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue when you've got product that's sellable like insurance and things like that. Earning commission because it, 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 it's a product that changes. Debt is not something that should should have commission models. It's not something that should be sold. It's a service to help people that need help, yeah. not for you to profit off of. And that's for me where there's, there's got to be a clear line. But since I've been in the industry, it's been really eye-opening for me. Like I said, working from insurance, there's loads of rules about what you can and cannot pay commissions on. Mm. With the debt industry, it just seems to be like everyone knows it exists, but nobody wants to kind of admit to it and, and kind of deal with the problem. Yeah, I think say so, well, hopefully, and that's a, um, an invitation then to anyone that does want to come on and discuss kind of open banking data and open banking principles that can be used within the collection space. Um, it would be great to, to have them on a future episode so that we can chew the fat over that. Um, so moving on then, uh, I mentioned the buy now, pay later market, um, you know, and I know you guys have done a bit of work and research um, on that. It'd be good to maybe offer us some insight into kind of what your um, kind of research showed. It's, it's a market that um clearly while still going through um kind of what regulation looks like and, and how it's governed um is a, a a market that's uh certainly on the up so it'd be interesting to kind of get your thoughts on the uh, bnpl space yeah so it, it was kind of weird like because we entered the industry like i said at that time when buy now pay later was just kind of picking up steam and what we saw from our data on the back end was you could see a decline in the payday lenders so the Wongas and these type of companies of the world were starting to disappear from the markets. The adverts that you'd see on TV for, for payday loans had kind of gone. Regulation, the FCA had got a hold of that and squeezed it. So that kind of stopped. And there was this like little gap between where there was a gap in the market. And we started to see in our data, like I said, people coming across with debts that had payday loans were all sort of declining. But then we started to see buy now, pay later schemes coming in. Mm-hmm. And when it first started, like I said, without even going into much detail and taking my debt hat off, I looked at buy now, pay later. I thought it's a good service. You'd go onto a website, you can spread the payments. It's kind of there. It was just nice and easy, kind of without really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then once we got involved and started seeing actually the impact it had, and really buy now, pay later, what we saw was more of a, it was more of like a, a gateway debt into bigger debts. That was like your your first step. Somebody would take maybe go into ASOS and have a hundred pound budget to spend. All of a sudden, that hundred pound with buying our player has gone to three hundred pound spend today because I'll I'll pay hundred pound this month, hundred next, and hundred in three months. So I can just buy more. And the way it's set up is just too easy. Like not really much data driven decision making into it, especially around what money is old. It's okay, one take, it's kind of done. And then for the consumer, it kind of replaced by um, payday loans. You put them in the same bracket, would you? 
Yeah. Wow. If you, if you look, if if you look at the what we have, especially with data, as you can imagine, we've had we've had over one hundred fifty thousand downloads. So we've got a hell of a lot of data mm-hmm. on what kind of debts people have, and we can see the type of customer that had payday loans is now has buy now pay later schemes, mm-hmm. and it kind of fills that. If you think payday loans generally two, three, four hundred pounds, five hundred pounds a month buy now pay later, the same kind of stuff, and it's that kind of thing where I'm a bit short till end of the month. When you take a payday loan, now people do buy now, pay later, and it's just pushing the problem further down and creating a bigger problem. So that was a big thing for us when we first looked at it. I thought, okay, we're creating a problem, especially that it's unregulated. Like these mm-hmm. guys really, it needs to be part of lending. It needs to be part of the FCA. I'm really surprised that it wasn't. Like, how's it how's it got through kind of thing without it? Um, so yeah, yeah so that was our- I think it's about kind of um, trying to split those customer profiles up as well. In you know, when we look at the the collection space is those that, that can't pay and those that won't pay. There's certainly a key difference, as we all know. Um, similar here, those that ultimately need it and those that um, don't need it but ultimately want to use it as a service. Um, so I, I do think that um, you know there's a there's a, a requirement to break down those profiles so that um, you know those customers that ultimately um, are in hardship. Um, don't feel like they have to go down a channel. Um, and actually, where's where's the re- rehabilitation or re-education piece, which I assume is something that um, you know Freeze Debt can uh, can help with uh, in terms of your platform. Um, yeah. And, and and so then just the f- one thing there. Yeah, sorry, just to, sorry on the buy now pay later. Like, we don't think it's a bad thing. No. Like I said I do. Really, there's a space in the marketplace. I don't want to come across that all oh, buy now pay later is a, is a terrible thing. It isn't. Ninety percent, ninety five percent of it works fine. Mm-hmm. But what we have to look at is that five percent. That vulnerable that when you really look at it should you have really given this customer a buy now pay later and that's where we feel the regulation should come in mm-hmm. majority of all lending is fine it's that small percentage that that struggle that when you sit down and look at it i mean how did they even get into this stage they should never have been lent money to start with yes and as the case uh, and as is the case um that is the same with all credit lines right it's uh it, it's, it's going through that critical kind of I&E procedure um, and making sure that um, there's the, um, the, the, I guess, the uh, the financials behind the application more broadly. So, um, okay, so before I ask you for your uh, crystal ball moment, um, I do want to kind of look at um, kind of society from a, a cash perspective. Um, so, you know, 2019, um, good to get your views here. So UK, UK Finance announced uh, the cash payments declined by 15% to £9.3 billion. Pounds. Um, uh, that doesn't take into account, of course, 2020, which uh, was the year um, that we're ultimately that the pandemic started and we're uh, unfortunately still within. Um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that with bank closures and cash machines being pulled out of remote areas um, that it appears this number will only further decline. Uh, what are your thoughts on hurtling towards a cashless society potentially um you know we've even we've uh, got our central bank digital currency event coming up um towards the end of next month um which registrations for that have rocketed um from kind of global financial institutions so clearly there's a lot of interest in this space um but from your perspective you know how will it impact consumers i think it's a good thing to be fair mm-hmm. like i said technology has moved so quickly and so fast we've got this device in our hand with our mobile phone, that's what we live through. And to have cash, it is kind of outdated. I watched a, a documentary recently and um, and threw a stat up where it was like, I think there's like 120 trillion pounds or dollars worth of currency, mm-hmm. like transactions that are happening every day. And less than 10% of that is actual physical cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's, it's going in that way. But I'm also a big believer in uh, 
cryptocurrencies as well. So I do look at the future and uh, where it's going. So, yeah, I think it, it is better. It's safer. It's more, you can track it better. You're not holding the cash. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of it. And, and I do think it's it ultimately it's good for society. You can pay for things just easier. Mm-hmm. I think as simple as, I remember I'm from a different age, I suppose, uh, getting a taxi with cash and <laughs> getting the change where you can just, like I said, tap it when you're when you're a bit half drunk and you understand what you've paid for or not. <laughs> I give the taxi driver forty quid last night, but it was it was it was supposed to be a ten pound ride kind of thing. It's it, yeah. it, that kind of thing is taken away. So yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer in it, and I'm a, I think it's good for society that we are moving away from it. Okay, so huge believer in moving to a cashless society. It's interesting. Um, uh, okay, so um, each uh, you know within each episode we ask our guests to close by giving a quick um no more than kind of 30 second crystal ball moment to offer a bit of a futuristic insight into the industry that they serve so um principally you know what are your industry predictions over the next uh, 12 to 18 months to be fair i touched on at the start like i said i think we're heading towards a huge debt crisis the, we're going to see record numbers of insolvencies in the in, in the industry well not even in the industry in, in the country than we've ever seen um so yeah so it's going to be a big spotlight on our industry and what we do and the guys who are doing it well will hopefully shine show the industry in a, in a very good light that we are helping people to get through what's going to happen and then after that a bit longer is i hope with our technology with those being freezed out and being the first um to really, as like a watershed moment in the industry from a traditional call center, collecting data, to really using open banking, to using data that's readily available to give better advice and faster advice to the consumers that need it, is really what I'd hope ultimately changes the industry and about how advice is given. Um, and, I, and I see that, I see more, more apps like us or more services like us popping up within the next 18 months. Great stuff. Thanks, Harjit. Some super interesting insight there. Um, and I also look forward to revis- revisiting your crystal ball prediction on a future episode to come. Um, my personal opinion here is the global economy has some uh, pretty tough times ahead to endure and Freestat is perfectly placed to play a critical role uh, via its tech platform. And I, for one, will be keeping a close eye on you guys. So thanks so much for coming on. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you back again soon. And once again, thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. We have a number of other podcasts already on the production line, so be sure to check those out when they land. And of course, once again, don't forget to get preparing your entries for the Open Banking Expo Awards. Until next time, take care for now.